Hello, world singers. My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere Cosmere Conversations. Conversations. Welcome back to the pod, everyone. Little did you know, this is Tyler's birthday podcast. And during the summer months when our birthdays do fall, we try to ask that you, the listener, give a review, give a shout out, tell a friend, share the Cosmere Conversations, write a little something something on the iTunes or the Pocket Cast or the Stitcher. I know there's some Stitcher people out there. <laughs> Wherever you can review us or star us or share us, please do so, and we will consider that a birthday high five from you digitally slash virtually. Thanks in advance. Because we know you're all going to do it. That's how amazing (laughs) that you are. Now let's get into the podcast proper, because we have an awesome episode for you today. I'm pretty sure this is the first time that we've ever done like a standalone podcast specifically focused on Her Majesty, Queen Yasna Kolin of Alethkar. <laughs> We've talked about her. We've loved her from afar, from close up. We have speculated she has been our leading radiant or like our most advanced radiant. So we're often saying, well, except for Yasna. Yeah, and she's certainly the subject of a lot of speculation. And therefore, we need to condense all of that speculation into one place and time for you traveling through time right now, as you do, because Yasna Kolin is definitely one of the most important characters introduced early on in the Stormlight Archive, clearly in a position of power in our present day Stormlight Archive, we believe going to get a standalone book in the second half as a possibility. So yeah, she is supposed to be the, you know, main character of one of the second half Stormlight books. And so as such, we are getting a little bit more about her in each book leading up to that time when she gets to be in the spotlight. Before we dive deep into Yasna Kolin, let's hear from some fans who reached out and left us some feedback either about general stuff or our last most recent episode on the emulsifiers. From Vince H, he said, so I was listening to this episode, meaning our emulsifier episode, and thought of a thought another podcast had presented. So we know that each shard presumably has a tone. And so on those lines, could adenalsium combine to be the equivalent of a chord? And pushing that further, assuming more adenalsium level beings are out there, could the god beyond actually be the orchestra of the universe? This is a fractal nature that just, this is when you keep playing it out, you're just like, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually it wraps all the way back down to the beginning and becomes the thing that started it all. Yes, I tell everything. Speculation, sure. Why not? Could be. I don't know. I think that there is a lot that will continue to be learned about the tones of the different shards. Mm hmm. 
and how those play together. Could that be like a chord when it is struck all at once? And that's just like, Adenosium. I do really love the idea of the Cosmere being this cosmic symphony of sounds. It's just such a beautiful idea. I think the question of like, is Adenalsium like, quote unquote, the God beyond or like, you know, is is Adenalsium the capital G endgame God or is there something greater than Adenalsium? That's a very interesting question. I think, at least at this point, that the Adenalsium entity is the capital G endgame god of the Cosmere because Cosmere, I think, is like the whole cosmos. Like, I don't think, you know, we're not just talking about Mm -hmm. one system and like there's more out there. For the purposes of the story world that we know so far, it seems like the Cosmere is a self-contained universe, even though it's only like the size of a dwarf galaxy in time and space. Sure. Like, you don't think there are other galaxies out there outside of the Cosmere that would be like Cosmere B or Cosmere C. I think by saying Cosmere, it is automatically like incorporating all of existence. And so if Adenalsium is like big god of the Cosmere, it's big god of everything is my thought right now. So you would be like, Chord can exist, but not the symphony. According to this theory that the... Yeah. 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 According to this theory, I would say that the chord would be the end, the biggest. I think this is interesting because Brandon is a Latter-day Saint, practices the Mormon religion. And in that religious belief, God, who will use the word universe instead of Cosmere, just to try to simplify, God is actually not the only one capable of doing what God does. Oh, that's interesting. And you as an individual can actually ascend to have your own godlike position. So like you could be an like adenalsium. A shard? Yeah. Well, see, okay, so that's the difference. But like, no, you can be like a full adenalsium. You could be a full adenalsium and I am very badly interpreting <laughs> Mormon theology so everybody can yell at me about Mormon theology however in a very broad sense a person a mortal person living on the world right now could theoretically based on their deeds in both this life and all mm-hmm. the lives blah blah, blah 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 could theoretically be the god of their own universe mm. is it like a parallel timelines type kind of thing or you would have the functional powers that God has over this universe. So like you create uh-huh. everything and, you know, you snap your fingers, let there be light. And that is your universe. Hmm. So like a multiverse type of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that in that instance, there would be multiple adenalsiums and there could be a symphony if you consider the multiverse uh-huh. to be the possible reality. For practical purposes, I think it's probably good to keep it focused on the Cosmere as like the biggest thing. Yeah. But, you know, there's always a question of what else could be out there. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's also like the limitations that an author sets are probably good on their universe. Like, sure, there might be a multiverse, but do I need to get to that in this series of books about the Cosmere? No. So I'm just going to not talk about it at all. We also heard from a couple people weighing in about different 
uh, emulsifiers that they have seen or they think act as emulsifiers mm, throughout yes. the Cosmere. Clarissa pointed out Siri and Susebrin. She says, now that he is healed, they are a really powerful pair born out of bridging a gap. I think that's a great call. And then my little brother, Aaron, also weighed in to say uh, Siri and Vivenna act as emulsifiers between Idris and Halandrin. So lots of emulsifiers in uh, Warbreaker. I really have loved this concept of the emulsifier and like bringing that to bear on more aspects of the Cosmere. So thanks to everyone, siblings and not, (laughs) who reached out. Lastly, we have just a far-fetched theory from good friend Ryan, who is a new listener to the pod, but did the uh, thing that you do sometimes when you binge listen to a series. So (laughs) heavy dose of Cosmere conversations all at once. We appreciate that. Hi, Ryan. Welcome to the pod. And he presented the idea that Dalinar would become Taravodian's champion in order to guarantee that his side, or what he views as like the good mm-hmm. side, was victorious in the Cosmere War. So he would like throw the match, essentially? Basically. Like if you think of throwing the match in order to win the war, maybe Dalinar pulls a marsh and i just want to make this small connection but remember Mm -hmm. like marsh goes into yeah the situation where he's eventually turned into an inquisitor and under the control of ruin with the mindset that he can be a corrupting influence first is just like trying to get into the inquisitors group and then as an actual inquisitor he says like i'm going to remain dutiful he's like waiting for the one moment exactly yeah and so maybe that's something that dalinar is coming upon his his Mm. one moment okay where it makes sense to shift the entire cosmere around him and his choice and that could involve losing the battle for rashar but maybe gaining something bigger so many questions that we don't know the answer to so interesting thought i like it i'm always looking for Interesting thoughts about that final battle. I think it will be important to keep that final battle in mind when we start talking about Yasna. And let's do that now. Yes, Yasna. We get more of Yasna than we have seen before in this book and yet still not enough. We do learn a little bit more about Yasna as a person, um, her inner life, But we still don't know a whole lot about her history. We've only got a couple of tiny little hints. I think one of the things that we definitely picked out in our reread of the first three books of Stormlight Archive and that I was looking for in Rhythm of War and it was like confirmed is what happened to Yasna Mm, in her past Mm -hmm. that maybe was part of her quote unquote breaking moment that then set her up. Allowed her to be a radiant. And we... Definitely have the theme of post-traumatic stress from all of the different moments in these Irradiant's life yeah. and our characters' lives. And it seems like Yasna had something with a mental break of some kind, some type of instance that led her to being institutionalized or whatever Rashar something versions like of a insane asylum. Like, they do not treat people <laughs> who are suffering from mental illnesses good And that's coming from Earth, where we also (laughs) don't treat people that well. (laughs) And 
historically was worse. Like I'm Way saying worse. insane asylum because like that's the bad version. Yeah. But that's like 20th century. That was us being as kind as people then, you know, in the 1950s. And they started to be phased out around that time and into the like the 1970s. But for literally generations and generations, the quote unquote kind thing to do was to send away people who were dealing with various different physical and mental disorders to be like isolated in prisons, strapped down, all the type of terrible stuff we see on our show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that was the quote unquote best they could do for them. And maybe you would and I would have problems with that today. But historically, it was way worse. Like you go back 500 years and it was much, much worse for anyone who is suffering in almost any way. Suffering, not big in the history of humanity. It would just be like, if you suffer too much, humanity just kind of like pushes you to the side. And I was like, we can't deal with that. That's that's too great. And Rashar has kind of done the same thing with just like, as we learn from Kaladin's perspective, the mentally ill are often just isolated and imprisoned and maybe they get better. And I think that's what happened to Yasna. I think something like that, she was exposed to something like that as a very young age. It certainly seems like it, which is kind of the juicy tidbit that we have. I thought it was really interesting in Rhythm of War. We actually see a little bit of how the events of Words of Radiance affected her. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because we almost always see Asna from a third party perspective. And she always seems confident and put together and in charge and you really there's like that one moment when shallan sees her like with her guard down and And that's basically she dies well and then the moment after that is like when the ship sinks and yasna's like thrown off into shadesmar it's a moment of realness i think and importance for yasna but as you were saying we always see her from the perspective of someone else where she looks like the most powerful radiant in any room that she happens to even standing next to other radiants yasna's held up as like oh yeah she's better than me we don't really ever see her in any state of like vulnerability scared mm-hmm. angry well maybe angry, angry but like you know scared or vulnerable we don't really ever see And so it's really cool in Rhythm of War to get to see from her perspective and learn that she is actually kind of suffering from PTSD from that episode where she is attempted to be assassinated. She flees to Shadesmar. She gets trapped in Shadesmar, is like desperately trying to return to Earth to like warn everybody about this terrible event. And... Uh, we see that effect on her, which I think is really cool because we, you know, after that happens, all we see from her is just kind of, you know, same old Yasna. Yeah, the so return like, of the triumphant yeah. is basically how it's approached. But this is what I'm saying is I think that all of her different traumas are stacking on one another because in this moment that we know happened to her, she's trapped in Shadesmar. But then the other moment that happened when she was young, I think she was like trapped in Rashar's version of their insane asylums, you know, in that terrible Mm -hmm. treatment. And so there's something about being unable to act as you want to, you know, being held down maybe physically or trapped in a place like Shadesmar where you can't get out that feeling of 
being out of control is definitely something that Yasna is processing, and it has a very specific impact on her mentality today, even though she's radiant, even though she's the queen. For example, when she is at war, she specifically chooses her like base camp building as the building that has a second floor so that she can be more safe from spies and assassins. And then also, quote, she had a boat waiting on the other side, as close to analogous to this location as Shadesmar would allow. She kept stores of stormlight in the pockets of her dressing gown, which she now wore. She would never again be caught unaware. She would never again be left struggling in Shadesmar without proper resources, forced to spend weeks hunting a perpendicularity, end quote. And I want to just follow that one up with the quote from Wit, because this mm-hmm. provides us a good perspective from someone that we don't necessarily trust, but we at least think has a broader view yeah. on things. And Wit says this about Yasna, quote, You are poised, you are smart, and you are always ready with a ploy. But when each of those things fails you, Yasna, you are, above all else, paranoid. End quote. To me, those two things demonstrate the consequences of all of these different traumas that Yasna has dealt with. She is suffering from a paranoia of control or a lack of control in other moments and trying to make up for that by creating a building or selecting a building yeah that she is... just like she never wants to be powerless exactly. again she is literally carrying power stormlight with her even in her pajamas like to bed that's a great point <laughs> like how afraid you have to be you know might you hear someone about oh i sleep with a gun next to my bed or yeah. something like that it's like man how afraid are you what happened to you to make you feel so vulnerable that you're sleeping with a weapon. Yasna is going to bed with the most powerful weapon that we know of, which is Stormlight. That's a great way to look at it. She's just terrified and paranoid. This is basically, this is a weird uh, connection to make, but this is basically the scene from Gone with the Wind with Scarlet in the garden, like, I will never be hungry again. This is Yasna's, I will never be powerless again. Yeah, and in both of those scenes with Scarlet as a character and with Yasna. They've been through shit. They've been through shit. They have a arc that we would see as kind of like triumphant. They're overcoming their problems. Problems and they're like moving mm. for you. Debatable in okay. terms of Scarlet. There but is hopefully that Yasno every- works out better. But I think that the concept of like, I have been removed from situations of control over my own life. Mm-hmm. Scarlet because of the war and yeah. everything that was going wrong. And Yasna also because of war and everything that's going wrong. And in both instances, like that moment really signifies a cutting off of emotion and like connection Mm, with others like really from that moment on i'm just gonna keep going back to scarlet because that's what i know and we don't know that much about yasna yet but from that moment on for scarlet anyway she is singularly focused on that one goal of like never ever will this happen to me ever again and i don't care what i have to do for that to be the case period and she does some like questionable things because of that and so that might be the same case with yasna we certainly see that her ability to connect and again be like vulnerable with other people is 
questionable or compromised. And I'm interested to see how this intense paranoia affects her decision making. Because I think her main decision that we saw, again, not getting a whole bunch of scenes with Yasna, but one that we did see is her battle moment when she is fully entrenched in full shard plate is using her shard blade is on the front lines in the thick of it however you want to describe it she chooses to be there a because she wants legitimacy in the eyes of others by like leading battle and not having anyone try to undercut her with like you've never seen real battle blah 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 no she stays out there for hours she goes into a dalinar like trance of (laughs) killing and slaughter and handles it differently processes it differently but she is purposefully putting herself in the situation where clearly you're not in full control on a battlefield even if you are radiant even if you are a shard bearer you can still die you can still be killed it happens all the time in these stories when it's just she has a moment like that on the battlefield where she gets a little bit overwhelmed Yeah. yeah and i think that that is such an interesting example of Yasna trying to process these different feelings and emotions and traumas that she has dealt with. But also, like, what a great leader to, like, she specifically says that in order to lead her people, she wants to better understand what it's like to be in war so that, like, she gets it before she just orders, you know, her troops to go somewhere. She wants Mm. to really viscerally understand what war means on, like, a personal level. Yeah, it's a very Ned Stark-esque moment, although he wasn't necessarily talking about war. He was talking about being willing to carry out justice as, like, the king of an empire and, like, do the deed yourself. You know, if you're going to execute someone, like, swing the sword. And Yasna clearly would have no problem swinging the sword she we'll get to that yeah exactly. we'll get to that <laughs> but i think that part of this actually comes before she was radiant or at least i don't want to pinpoint an age for when yasna becomes a radiant i think like shalon she may have been flirting with a spren for a real long time but her chosen life's path before radiance is as a veristatilian and I think that's a made-up word, but it no, could... it's a real thing. Way to go, Brandon! Just picking out real words. <laughs> so, a someone who is a Veristatilian would do what, Brooke? She has dedicated her life and her scholarship to finding the truth of history. So, this thing that like Yasna has been pursuing for all of her adult life, she comments that like it's kind of pointless now because Ash and Tom are here and like. She can just ask them. And yes. it's such just an interesting commentary on history and like the way that we understand history and the truth about history. So we get this quote The challenge of Stormhold? Oh, Ash had been there. King Eilid had just been drunk. The Treaty of Four Nights? A delaying tactic intended to position the enemy for a betrayal end quote. And so there's like all these things that, you know, they've spent hundreds, maybe thousands of years like 
interpreting and trying to decide like what it meant and probably assigning all types of, you know, honorable or noble or grand and uh, if, ideas. If Risharian scholars or anything like Earth scholars, then there is someone out there who spent their entire life reading every scrap of information about the Treaty of Four Nights. Yeah. Like really just getting about, specific. Like, what was the strategy here? This brilliant idea that this person had and like, oh, no, he was just drunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think this does bring up another connection to what Yasna is pursuing because history and the teaching of history or the passing on of history is very much a thing in flux, a story to be told. And through that story, you can have a lot of control or a lot of power. And if you are wanting to, for example, males in society, in a patriarchal society, they can use the story of history to empower themselves and disempower the female population. I think that Yasna's life's mission about trying to find the truth of things is also an element of like trying to take back some of the control from these totally. people and these organizations yeah. and these religious scholars who have an influence on the study of history because the scholars are also tied to the religion which yeah. are tied to the politics and it's just like all of this stuff and she was like no I'm going to be the knife that cuts through and just sees things as uh -huh. they are as truth and what she realizes because of Ash and Tom and all the past colliding with their present is that almost her attempt at a control or an understanding was maybe impossible i i feel like it would be destabilizing to be yasna to feeling mm, like totally i was told all these things i knew that they were not true or lies or propaganda and i'm gonna go and study and figure everything out. And then she's like just as wrong as they are. Exactly. Yeah. It's like no matter how hard someone as brilliant as Yasna was trying, it still is just immediately undercut as soon as you can find out like, oh no, that that guy was drunk. He was he was just drunk all the time and completely threw off everyone around him because he was so drunk. <laughs> and it's just like, well, that is not what's in the books. <laughs> yeah. Nobody writes about that, even in the little notes that the women might put in the women's script. Like those types of things are just lost to time and lost to history. And so amid all of these destabilizing aspects of Yasna's life and the greater war on Rashar, she finds a unlikely romance in wit. And I feel like this is such a weird, stabilizing thing. <laughs> it's, it is... Like on a sailboat, totally forgot the name, but you have the big sail and then you often have like some smaller sails that just do a job of stabilizing the bigger sail. And they might seem to be working in opposites, but it's actually about like balancing out and making sure that you sail in the direction that you want to go. I feel like that is almost what wit is allowing or part of in Yasna's life is like a stabilizing presence amid all of this chaos. It is an interesting relationship that is both surprising, but also makes complete sense. <laughs> she says, quote, She found the way he spoke fascinating. After all this time and all her worries, here was one who was her intellectual equal, perhaps her superior. She didn't trust him, of course, but that was part of what intrigued her, end quote. 
There's always that question about like, what is it that attracts you to someone else? Is it their... Sometimes that's the mystery. Sometimes it's just, yeah, not being able to fully understand that other person and how they're presenting. I mean, and Yasna as a scholar is so interested in learning, right? And so like someone like Wit who presents such an opportunity for learning yeah. such a vast array of things. In that scene with Wit, he makes some very interesting comments about the contest of champions. I reread that scene and I thought these were interesting. Quote, because he knows, same as I'm telling you, that the contest won't only be about who can stab the hardest with their spear. What will it be about then? Same thing it's always about, Yasna, Wit said. The hearts of men and women, end quote. This to me is one of those big moments of like, listen to Hoyd and realize Kaladin is not going to be the champion. He specifically says it's not about yes, someone who can stab with like, a spear. This is what I've been saying the whole time. Like, I don't think this challenge is like actually about a sword fight. I think it's going to be something else. And so I love that Wit is backing me up on that. <laughs> of course, he's an unreliable narrator. And I we have know, no but no idea still. what it's going. I agree. I do think that there is going to be a huge subversion of our expectations when it comes to the quote-unquote contest, contest of champions yeah like when you hear that you are thinking the game of thrones-esque you know the viper sure. versus the mountain yeah. the very like classic duel with two people standing there going swords to swords who's the best is it jamie lannister or that other dude with the thorns and the <laughs> like i know i don't know all their names and because that is what you expect and with the death rattles that we have talked about with the different foreshadowing of some unexpected moment that comes about because of this contest of champions i definitely believe that we have to look beyond and look to what hoyt is saying about mm -hmm. this isn't going to be one with like a well-placed spear strike yeah <laughs> that's actually the technically terms you've been stabby stabbied yes and the contest is now over <laughs> Let's continue with Yasna's relationships. I'm pretty sure this is the first time that we have like meaningfully seen Yasna and her mother interact. They talk about each other yes. in other scenes. And we may have seen them like from across the room embrace when yeah. Yasna first gets Hello, back. Mother. But like we I don't think have had a full scene with the two of them. So this feels like a very important uh, like Bechdel test type moment. Like, hmm, why did it take so long for the daughter and her mother to have one scene together? And they recognize the awkwardness in the scene, which is the <laughs> which best is part. It's <laughs> just like realizing exactly what has happened between the two of them when they say, quote, storms, Yasna said under her breath. Mother, are we really so awkward that we embrace like teenagers meeting a boy for the first time? End quote. <laughs> That's harsh. Like, it, teenagers are awkward. <laughs> that if you had that relationship with your mother, that would feel very, very strange to yeah. most people. And I think that that is the relationship between Navani and Yasa. They are incredibly different people. Very, very different people. And I think that Yasna's past, her mysterious past, probably has something 
to do with like her willingness to again be vulnerable or like be close to her mother um but also like sometimes you know as a parent or a child you don't have a lot in common like sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and sometimes it rolls down a hill like it's just how it is sometimes and so i think this is kind of cool to explore a different type of parent-child relationship it's not that they don't love each other it's just that they don't necessarily see eye to eye or like understand each other and like what an interesting thing that is when you're like I made this person or this person made me and yet I don't understand them at all. I think it is probably very connected to what happened in Yasna's youth. And I definitely think that there could be a moment of like Navani was looking at Yasna and Yasna was looking at her mom and Navani made a decision that Yasna did not agree with. And that created a like the everlasting divide between them. But I do think that this is a very important relationship because it's also one of the only parental and offspring relationship where the offspring is also a fully fledged adult. I think the Mm. next closest is like Adolin and Dalinar where he's like starting to. Adolin's like, yeah, just starting to get there. But like Yasna has a full career. She is well respected. Yeah, exactly. And that is different in many respects. Mm -hmm. There's not the stereotypical version, which is like, well, when the daughter starts to have children of her own, then she will understand what it is like. (laughs) In this relationship, it's different. But I feel like Yasta in many ways is kind of forging the path that Navani didn't. Like Navani chose the political marriage and went down that kind of like, in Risharian I mean, history. yeah, you could say chose. She probably didn't have a lot of exactly. better choices. And clearly, Yasna benefits and is yes. able to choose different because of Navani and the, all of those things, yes. But I think that that was probably an influencing element is if you're a young, rebellious Yasna, like willing to break away from maybe people who didn't treat you right or you think didn't treat you right as a young person, the thing that you would do is try to be the opposite of your mother you look at your mom and you're just like i'm not going to be that i'm not going to go marry some warlord blah 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 and sit back and organize dishes or whatever you know just the meanest stuff you can think about your mom navani's great obviously but from a young person's perspective i can totally see how that would send yasna on the path that now eventually leads her to this moment of complete awkwardness with her own mother yeah she and we have to remember that yasna has for some people what may be really different ways of uh, communicating affection. We see that in her relationship with Wit, and mm. we see that again in her relationship with her mom. Like Yasna might never be, you know, the big hugging type like that quote illustrated, but she says, quote, thank you for always being you, despite the rise of kingdoms and the fall of peoples. I don't think you can understand how much your constant strength means to me. What an unusual exchange. Yet Navani found herself smiling. She squeezed Yasna's hand, and that moment together, seen through the mask, became more precious than a hundred awkward embraces. End quote. Yeah, so 
you know, even though they are so different, even though there is always some strife, uh, I think, between parents and children as the, you know, grow- growing process mm-hmm. happens, even through all of that, uh, hopefully anyway, like we can get to this kind of point where despite our differences, we can respect each other. And the fact that even though they are so different, don't understand each other at all, Yasna can say, thank you for always being you. Like, I think that is just a huge declaration of love. Yes, it definitely shows growth and development in their relationship from probably what it was before the Stormlight Archive books began. But I do find the use of seen through the mask as an interesting choice of words that Navani has. Mm. And I believe that Shalon used in that moment as well of Yasna is putting on... She always has her guard up. Exactly. And that goes back to what Hoyt is talking about, about you're paranoid. For example, Shalon in the very first description of Yasna was talking about how she always looks so beautiful and delicate. Yeah, but then she's she, like the perfect Voren yes. beauty. Even though she doesn't respect a lot of Vorenism, and she definitely has a bone to pick with the patriarchal society that exists, she goes through all of the different motions to fit the ideal to put on the mask. And right before this moment with Navani, Navani uh, observes basically how every choice that Yasna makes is calculated for a specific effect. Like everything that she does from her hair to her clothing to the way that she travels, all is a game plan. Like none of it yeah. is just because Yasna wants to do this. It's all for a very, very specific reason, basically to assert power. And like you said, control. Yes. Taking back some yeah, of that control. To be able to control any situation that she is in through any means necessary. Yeah. Like a, a woman choosing an outfit in a professional setting, many different women could choose many different outfits for many different reasons. But Yasna would always be about projecting the confidence and poise and power and control that she wants in any given situation. I find that, as well as her relationship with Hoyd and with Navani, and how we get these kind of moments of dropping the mask and then seeing the mask again. Because let's talk about a situation that was a very mask-oriented situation. One was fighting in the battle. Like, that was part about building up a mask of respectability and being able to understand what actual soldiers are dealing with. But the one that I think is most mask-intensive that we see here is the confrontation with Ruthar, the other high prince. Such a good scene. Now, Ruthar is being a dick. He is (laughs) trying to (laughs) undercut Yasna with the same patriarchal stuff that we were talking about. So Ruthar is just really laying it on thick with the misogyny. And he says, quote, I didn't say anything when she was made queen. Other nations have queens. It's a disgrace, Dalinar writing. He might as well put on a hava and start painting. We deserve the judgments of the Almighty after giving the throne to a godless, end quote. Obviously, he's going to finish that line before he is interrupted by Yasna. 
But this venom that Ruthar is projecting, not just at Yasna, but also at Dalinar and at the entire... Just like the his world is changing. Yes. It is becoming less patriarchal in the way that he knows. Less Ruthar focused. <laughs> like Ruthar was really rocking the old world and he does not want any changes to that system. His world is basically breaking down. And to be fair to everyone else, their world is also breaking down. Exactly. There's a desolation and a massive Cosmere <laughs> war coming. Like everyone's war is breaking it down and Ruthar chooses to act like a dick. Other people choose to try to take the next step and be better. And so Yasna turns that around on him. Well, that whole rant was actually specifically calculated and planned for by Yasna. She baits him into saying that. like Publicly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure she has heard the mutterings of around course. and whatever. And she decides to just address it head on. So she's like in the battle tent, kind of making a big show of talking to the generals and like giving input about the battle and stuff, kind of like looking at him out of the corner of her eye. And then he makes, you know, he he breaks down, can't take it anymore. Gotta say all of this crap. Dalinar steps in. And is like, hey, man, I don't think you want to do this because wit obviously comes to Yasna's defense as the queen's wit should. And I think it's very interesting that the reasoning Dalinar uses is like, we know that wit is not really a normal wit. I don't think you should fight him. And he even says, quote, I'm not sure if you can kill him, end quote. Definitely giving us a tiny bit of tidbit about wit that we should always like take out and, you know, learn as much about Hoyt as possible. Well, and just the fact that like Dalinar is now recognizing, recognizing this. Exactly. But I think that the way that Yasna then turns the screws on wit, basically, she is ratcheting up the volume, the pressure that wit is using in his insults, throwing <laughs> them out more and more. And she's like, wit, more, like hurt him. Hurt him badly. Try to make him as upset as possible so that there will then be this moment that she wants where they are challenged to a trial by combat. Mm -hmm. And she is doing all of this purposefully. She has her cousin, Renarin, hanging out in the sidelines. She brought him specifically and told him specifically, do not mention to anyone, including Dalinar, why you are here, but you will stand here until I look over at you and then you will do the thing that your radiant powers allow you to do. And so he knows something bad's about to happen. But Yasna is creating this elaborate ruse to get to the moment where she is the one who will act as her own champion. Well... I think that there is a question of, like, does she know that Hoyt is unable to hurt other things or, like, to kill? We know that that is a weird thing about Hoyt. He has some restriction in his ability to cause pain. We believe it's connected to something about him holding the Dawn Shard or the specific Don shard that he held but and we're specifically reminded of that quality of hoids right before this scene he's talking to dalinar and he comments that he wishes he could still eat cow which he we know word of brandon he is vegetarian because of this prohibition on like hurting things and so i wonder if yasna knows that and like they planned for that in this 
strategy where wit is like fine 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 i'll nominate a champion you don't have to fight me and of course is like my champion will be the queen and then the queen steps forward pulls Hoyd's sword out of its scabbard. We don't believe it has any magical properties, but anytime you're touching Hoyd's stuff- I don't know if we've ever seen it drawn before. Yeah, he's always, not always, but he's often shown wearing a sword, especially on Rashar. But I, we have no confirmation of any magical sword aspects. But she draws the sword and immediately stabs Ruthar, killing him. Or getting him as close to death as possible. <laughs> and then Renarin revives him. And then Renarin brings him back, which is just the ballsiest move that you can make pretty really? much anywhere. Just yeah. like, I'm going to kill you. You are going to die. And then I, because I am so nice to you, will bring you back to life. She gets to both kill him and have him be alive to face the consequences of his actions. <laughs> Which are then extreme. Like she removes him from she takes land and title. Everything away. Like disinherits yeah. people. And then she's like, well, since you died, that means you forfeit everything. Exactly. <laughs> everything moved, and she is the queen and gets to direct these things. But it's just a beautifully elaborate ruse that I and think. And then she immediately uses her own actions to justify a new law forbidding trial by combat. Saying, quote, I will use my own unfortunate experience today as an example of why this is a terrible tradition. Ruthar's blood will be the last such spilled, and as we leave this era of barbarism, each and every attendant at court will know that Alethkar's first queen is a woman unafraid of doing what needs to be done herself. End quote. Baller. This, to me, is the big mask that Yasna is building now as queen, but maybe has been building all her life, and that some characters get to see through in those moments. But this is also what all kings and queens and rulers and presidents and everyone has to do in many respects, is like create this mask of authority, because if you don't appear to have it, then you won't actually have it. But maybe if the appearance is strong enough that you will have more authority and power... Yeah, I mean, I think I want to be careful about saying that, like, it's all a mask, because I think that there is a lot of the things that she's doing that are based in her true beliefs and desires and her true strength and competence. You know, like, I don't want to just say all of this power and authority is just a mask that she's putting on, because I think she is strong and powerful and intelligent and you know and so in a way it's just that she is emphasizing those aspects of herself and de-emphasizing any of the softer sides of herself so i just you know i want to be careful about saying that it's all a mask because i think that she is a strong powerful intelligent competent good ruler person and i want that to be known As do I. And I think it comes down to like how we're using the definition of mask. Because as I said, I think everyone, including our characters, Dalinar and whatnot, as well as all leaders, politicians everywhere that have ever existed, are all doing this game of creating their mask of authority. You can even argue that like countries in general are making mass (laughs) like of legitimacy of their, you need to believe in what America stands for, what the United Kingdom stands for, what blah, 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 insert your country here stands for. And that is 
in many respects a version of a mask that you are putting on and being like, this is what we are holding up. This is what we are emphasizing. And we are downplaying some of the other aspects. George Washington, total hero of the American Revolution, slave owner, not so much. Don't talk about that part. But it's what Yasna is doing as well. She is creating the mythology, the history of... And she's at least of- like using, we can call it a mask of power, but she's at least using her mask of power to put forward... I mean, I guess what we would call her more democratic ideals, for example, making sure that people know that the first queen of Alethkar was a fucking baller and like a badass and she didn't need her handheld. And we hear a lot actually about her sort of vision for Alethkar, which is quite different and is one of the reasons that Ruthar is so uh, scared and shaken and uh, confused about the way that their world is changing. Yes. And so this is what I, going forward, because we're going to talk about all of these different things that she wants to do. I guess I want to talk about Yasna's philosophy and then Yasna's actions to accomplish the philosophy, because a person like Yasna, who's not quite what we here on Earth would label as sociopathic or psychopathic by any stretch of the imagination but she's also very pragmatic and yeah in uh, many ways she is unencumbered by emotion oh that's great unencumbered by emotion is very (laughs) i had there's actually a note in my kindle i forget exactly what she says but it's during a conversation with dalinar i think they're talking about the value of hope and yasna is kind of her perspective is that hope is for suckers basically <laughs> and that like people make a lot of bad decisions when they are encumbered by emotion like hope mm-hmm. and i made this note that's just like yasna is the opposite of odium question mark yeah i mean she doesn't want passion and she yeah she is like the person that you want to go up against odium in some ways because she's just really cuts through the bullshit, is not interested in any sentimentality or sympathy or passion, like, really at all. She is all about just, like, intelligence and uh, clear thinking. And I believe that her philosophy or her vision of Rashar is probably something that more people would agree with, more people from Earth would agree with. Like, yeah, that's a good direction. And then the way that she tries to accomplish that as demonstrated by the confrontation with Ruthar is the mask that she thinks is the best at accomplishing her goals. So like Always. what did she want out of the confrontation with Ruthar? Probably not a like a small percentage was just like dealing with someone who was a dick to you and misogynistic. But like the bigger thing I believe was this banning of trial by combat. Like that's probably well, what think- she actually wanted to accomplish. I think that's a gross simplification because I think Yasna is incredibly intelligent and this whole orchestrated scenario was the perfect uh, problem solving of many different problems that she had that she was able to kill like three birds with one stone, basically. Yes, she wanted to get rid of trial by combat. She also wanted to very publicly address any statements of misogyny or fear about the new Alethkar order. And three, then more personally, this dude's been a dick to me. 
let me get back at him. And she found this perfect way to do all three of those things in one sweep of her sword. And it could be the perfect way. And it seems like a good way. I always wonder about like the ramifications of the way these people are acting. Of course. And I think from Dalinar as our main example of another leader on Rashar, a bunch of times he thinks he's doing the right thing. And that ends up getting half of his men killed. Mm-hmm. And if it was maybe a story about a different part yeah. of Rashar, that would just be seen as a colossal epic failure that then resulted in like the death or abandonment. Dalinar's entire kingdom could have just like crumbled after that moment if it was just a slightly different story. But instead, he rises from the ashes like a phoenix and becomes a radiant. And I'm worried that some of our characters will make these big mistakes a la Ned Stark, like not realizing how the Game of Thrones is played. Yasna seems far more advanced than many of the Game of Thrones players. <laughs> yeah. And she basically can't die because she's a radiant. <laughs> However, yeah. I am worried. I'm always worried when people are making these kinds of moves for politics and trying to manipulate everyone to do a certain thing and think a certain thing. And it's just like, you hope, you hope that works out the well, way that you're planning. Just specifically talking about the differences that can be seen with when you get a different perspective and like mm-hmm. how powerful perspective is. One thing that I thought was absolutely fascinating about Rhythm of War is the different perspective we got on Dalinar because we're coming right off of Oathbringer, which is extremely heavily Dalinar focused. And it is such a powerful um, way for us to become incredibly empathetic for Dalinar, right? If anyone was like on the fence about Dalinar before Oathbringer, you come away from Oathbringer yeah. having just the most respect and admiration and love and sympathy for Dalinar. Like he can do no wrong. Everyone loves him. And in Rhythm of War, we get from uh, multiple different people's perspectives a different view of Dalinar and his decisions and his character, which I just think is so interesting. We're so like entrenched in that view of like, Dalinar is the best, put him on a pedestal. And then to get these other perspectives is fascinating. We see him a little bit more as the the old guy on his way out, right? Like definitely a relic of the previous iteration of a Lethkar. And the way that he reacts towards Adolin, talks to Adolin, behaves toward Adolin, the multiple kind of confrontations, but just like discussions and disagreements that he has with Yasna in those ways, it just really seems like he is the poster boy for the old paradigms. And then we have these new young characters as hints of what Alethkar and Rashar are moving towards and like will be in the future. And I think it very, just to make it a little Cosmere focused as well, I think that there are a lot of similarities to the Scadrian universe where Mistborn Era 1 then births Mistborn Era 2. I know there's a gap of time in that one, but the just concept of you have to kind of have these people with their story, the Kelsiers, and the world that exists for our characters in era two is very different. And 
they are dealing with different challenges and different issues. One kind of needs and relies on the other, but they would also never approach problems the same way. Like no one in Era 2 would act like Kelsier does in Era 1 and vice versa. I think that Dalinar is the Kelsier in that example, the character whose maybe time has passed and all of these other characters are handling problems whether it's Kaladin and the treating of people with mental illness Yasna and the way that she is leading the multiple examples we have of like scholarship and power moving away from the shard bearers and the military side and moving more towards the technology all of those different things are coming to a head with many emulsifiers helping along the way. But I think Yasna's colon ideas for the future, as she presents them through Rhythm of War, are both a bold declaration and one of those things that I'm fearful for how hard you can push a system that's already on the verge of breaking in so many different ways. So you just see through Dalinar's eyes, basically. (laughs) I think that no, I don't. I don't really see through Dalinar's eyes. Well, I'm just saying that's basically his. That's his argument, argument to yeah. her is like slow down. Yes, actually, of let's course. Re- let's read that quote. <laughs> Perfect quote. I wish you'd slow down, Dalinar said. I'm not completely opposed to the theory of what you're doing. It shows compassion, but if we slow down, the past catches up to us. History is like that, always gobbling up the present. End quote. So in practice. I agree with Yasna. Like, you got to move, and history is like an anchor holding you down. You can't let the past catch up with you. Totally agree there. And then, from to, to honor Dalinar's perspective, the world is very much breaking apart around them. Their religion is breaking. Their gods are dying. The enemy that they once thought was controlled it's like everything is just like falling in on itself and it's all crumbling around them yeah but i agree with yasna this is the perfect time to make change exactly because of that and i feel like you just you have more faith in like not making change because it hasn't been too bad for you in the past but anyone who's ever been a minority is like no we we should definitely make change doesn't matter if the world is falling apart. This is the time for change. It will be better. And that's what I'm saying. I agree with Yasna in every respect in my real life. And in the story world, I'm very worried. Like in our world, I'm less worried about all because all the things you just mentioned. Like, oh, that's just the patriarchy just like holding everybody down. That's just the hierarchy of societies. Well, maybe we should just slow down. Like, no, dude. No, you're just a corporation no. just trying to make money. That's all you are. And I totally understand that. And that is the difference between maybe like 20-year-old me and now much, much older me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so wise and experienced now. But you know, 20-year-old me was like, all drugs should be legalized. Like, you don't need to tell anybody what to do. Just live and let live, brother. And now I'm like, if you make drugs legal, then some people will purposefully try to addict other people in order to abuse them and make lots and lots of money. And that is terrible. And so I think that conservatism has a purpose in both Rashar and the regular world. Obviously, and moderation is always the key. Generally speaking, though, I'm all aboard the Yasna train. Like, I'd hitch it to her before 
basically any character on this planet. All of them are very suspect, let's be honest. Just to put this all in context, this is a conversation between Yasna and Dalinar when she proposes a new law freeing all Alethi slaves. Quote, I forbid this, Dalinar said. You can't simply free every Alethi slave. It would cause mass chaos. I wasn't aware, Yasna said, that you could forbid the queen from taking action. Dalinar continued to pace. I cannot see reason in this, Yasna. The chaos this will cause. Our lives are already in chaos, Yasna said. This is precisely the time to make sweeping changes when people are already adjusting to a new way of life. The historical data supports this idea. But why? Dalinar asked. You're always so pragmatic. This seems the opposite. I seek the line of action that does the most possible good for the most people. This is in keeping with my moral philosophy. I wish you'd slow down, and that's where we started. I think that the danger, of course, of a Yasnian philosophy is that it's very close to a full utilitarian philosophy or a full Thanos, as you might call it. <laughs> like, if the best move to do to accomplish the most possible good for the most people is to destroy half of all life in the universe. That's actually a pretty good call. Yeah. Yasna as Thanos. Thanos oh, and no. Yasna have the same philosophy. And this is why I'm worried. Here, we now understand why conservatism makes some sense in the world. Because there is a balance that Dalinar is clearly accurate about ending slavery in a society that lives well, off of slavery. Well, you have to have a plan for sure. You yeah. can't just like say no slaves and walk away. And I think that... Just but Yasna strikes me as the kind of person who probably has a plan. Again, we've said a lot of positive things about Dalinar, but can we just take a moment to He's advocating slavery. <laughs> and to acknowledge his hubris in telling Yasna he forbids her for doing something? Well, that's always been Dalinar's problem. Oh is he... my gosh. Well, that, I think that that's the same exact issue that Dalinar had with Elikar when she, when Elikar was in Yasna's position, is that everyone knows Dalinar is in charge. Not legally. Legally, Yasna is now in charge or Elikar was yeah, in charge. Yeah, but before we could say like, oh, it's fine because Elikar's a bad king. And now it's like, oh, this wasn't about Dalinar trying to take over because Elikar was a bad king. This is about Dalinar just always needing to have it his way. Oh, I always thought it was the latter. I never thought it was really? actually about Elikar. Elikar's the excuse. Everyone is yeah, a bad well, king. Well, that's what I'm Dalinar's saying. Dalinar's a bad king. But now it's like obvious it's that Dalinar. it was an excuse. Yeah. And like, we have to acknowledge Dalinar's flaws, flaws as well as his positives. No, I think that that is the exact same flaw that leads Dalinar to say, I'll be the champion. Obviously, I am going to yeah. fight for all of Rashar and all of the Cosmere. Like, that's arrogance. The only way you get to that position, or maybe any position of power, I don't know. I'm not in a powerful position. And but like, you have to be a little arrogant. sometimes it's earned. You know, I mean, he is a bondsmith. Like, look, you do have a lot of power. I get it. But he's totally advocating for slavery here. Yeah. He's just of the opinion that, like, I think in the... Game of Thrones books, the conversation that Khaleesi had with her small council that was led by Tyrion ended up basically along the same lines. Khaleesi saying we should end slavery right now. And then her council talking to her into some type of like five-year plan that like slowly phased out the slaves and like paid the slave owners in 
some money back to like free the slaves but then by year two all of that falls apart and the whole society has ripped itself back into what it was previously and that's what i'm worried about i'm worried that like there is going to be a inability to deal with all of these issues that need to be dealt with but they can't even deal with like the most basic because there is a gigantic cosmere war going on so yasna has probably more work to do because we've talked a lot about how Dalinar may not survive the end of book five, and Yasna is the clear leader of Rashar after that. I mean, Navani is a bondsmith and she's going to have an important role, but like politically, Yasna's in the best position at this point and is demonstrating how she is building her credibility and legitimacy to rule politically all of Rashar in one way or another. And so she's got a lot on her table. And I don't know how she's going to handle it all. Well, she has plans to move their world in, again, a more democratic direction. And another way in which her philosophies are contrasted with Dalinar, Dalinar is shown in so many ways to be an authoritarian from his insistence upon Adolin looking and acting and dressing a certain way to his ideas about governance yes. versus Yasna. And the best quote that illustrates this is what Wit says to Dalinar's face about himself. Quote, On the topic of monarchs, I will have you know that I find you to be an endearing despot. You're so pleasant, I almost don't find it horrifying that I'm living among a people willing to trust a single man with near-absolute power over the lives of hundreds of thousands, while completely ignoring proper checks and balances upon his potential greed, jealousy, or ambition. End quote. Love it. Love you hit it out it. of the park, Wit. That's exactly it. Dalinar is an endearing despot, and I think we all need to acknowledge this. Oh, yeah, I do. I 100% agree that wit is so perfectly just like thrown the dart and nailed it with Dalinar. It's just Bullseye. like, yeah. And that is terrifying because this is why despots work. Like this is the exact reason why for most of human history, even if you were talking less than hundreds of thousands of people that you're reigning over, even if you just got like a couple of tribes together or whatnot, it's ruled by some form of a despot, whether that is a military or like physically powerful one you know guy with a big stick back in the caveman days or a group of matriarchs who all control a society of people who live on the islands that is now present day indonesia like they're all forms of despots because they're all operating without proper checks and balances upon those potential greeds and jealousies and ambitions and we like see how different people across history have tried to put in little checks and balances. Well, and we see the problem with the checks and the balances, too, which is what Dalinar brings up. He says, quote, I just don't like how much bureaucracy Fen has to go through before anything gets done. The Azish are even worse. Why name your ruler an emperor if he has to get approval from a dozen different functionaries to do his job? One is a constitutional monarchy, the other a scholarly republic, Yasna said, sounding amused. What did you expect? A king to be a king, he muttered, drinking the rest of his wine in one gulp. Both of their governments go back centuries, Yasna said. They've had generations to refine their processes. We'd do well to learn from them. She eyed him, thoughtful. 
The days of absolute power in one person's hands will likely soon pass us by. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm the last true Alethi monarch. End quote. I think that's so interesting that she is like stating openly that she is trying to pave the way for a different type of governance in a Lethkar. It certainly is bold, and it's certainly a bigger, would be a bigger benefit to the Cosmere to have a central planet, an important planet like Rashar, be governed in a effective and small d democratic way. That would have ripples across the Cosmere instead of getting a war-torn society that's meant to be led by odium on a gigantic <laughs> killing spree. To you... Dalinar's point, though, like there are times when it's very handy to be able to have one person in charge who can swiftly make decisions. And those times tend to be times like this where yeah. there are like big wars happening. So, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. It's always that line or that idea that history is written by the victors if yasna's ideas end up working out she's gonna look great be like the last true yeah. monarch she saved us exactly from and like set us off she is going to become let's imagine that all of these different things that she wants to accomplish work exactly as she wants and going forward in history she will become like vin is in skadrian history like the I beginning guess, like, of a long and prosperous reign of wonderfulness and awesome where there's like far more equality and like everything is different and better than it was in the past because of this one woman there's kind of a difference though because we have yasna in charge of a country a lethkar and dalinar as like humanity's ambassador to the divine yeah basically. holy man <laughs> Because he is king of Urithiru, which is just like Knight's Radiant yeah. home base. You know, so it's not really the same. They do have like a division of power. And so they kind of have a balance, as we're talking about, of like Yasna needing to take a more democratic approach to the governance of her specific country and like sewage and trash pickup and like all of the mundane things about running a country and then dalinar needing to be the like single point person who can make big decisions in this big cosmic way yeah let's read this last quote between the two of them on this topic quote a king ruling by the gauntlet and sword can easily see it slip away when he weakens Compare this to the Azish system, where a bad prime is unable to single-handedly ruin their government. And a good one is unable to accomplish much, Dalinar said, end quote. And that really is coming back to the same philosophical debates about political theology that people have been having far before our own country, the United States, even existed. And this is like the birth of the Enlightenment, when you had people beginning to question the traditional, at least in Western Europe, mode of government that was almost exclusively done by monarchs. And you had a bunch of bad monarchs, and you had people that were like the second son twice removed from this person who was born a thousand years ago, and now we're listening to them, but they are kind of like insane and stuff, and they're in charge of everything and everyone, and they get to do whatever they want. And it's just like, it seems like a really bad system. And then on the other hand, as Dalinar points out, just be like, if you have a bureaucracy that's so encumbered, 
Yeah. It's like trying to move the Titanic when you need Nothing to be as swift done. as a hummingbird. Yeah. Yes. And so I feel like we've reversed our roles here as I started out presenting the more conservative and now you're being like, you know what, checks and balances are good. We uh, should probably... Sl-. And I think that's important because these are the constant challenges that Yasna as a political leader is going to face. And Dalinar, I think, is going to face less and less as he fades from the story or at least the center part of the story on Yeah, Rashad. I mean, he's already outside of the exactly. political realm and is consciously moving himself away Further. from that mm-hmm. role. He, hmm, poetically, he is kind of on a uh, journey like up the chakras or through the zodiac from physical through mental, emotional to spiritual common paradigm trajectory we see in many different ways where he has gone from like a super Aries, aggressive, very physical oriented person Mm -hmm. through his like enlightenment period of using how to learn, use his mind and emotions. And now he is moving into the spiritual aspect, literally saying like, I need to learn more about my bondsmith powers and like the my future is in that realm, is in that deity power that I hold. Yasna's relationship with Dalinar and with Navani and the way that it continues to develop and she will of course always see them as role models and leaders in her personal life and in their world in general, but Part of the Stormlight Archive, I definitely see as this new generation of characters. Yeah, the changing of the guard. Yeah. So it is Dalinar and Navani saying goodbye, and Yasna, Adolin, Kaladin, all of our other characters stepping up to rule their world in this moment of change. In different ways. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. I think that's a big thing that is happening in rhythm of war and is one of the things that contributes to the like transitional feeling of the book as a whole is that we do see you know Kaladin stepping into a different role and stepping in with different ideas about how mental health is handled and we see Shalon stepping into a new iteration of understanding of herself understanding of the greater Cosmere we see Yasna bringing all of these new political ideas and we do start to see that like slow transition as time passes which is one of the really cool and interesting things about series like the Stormlight Archive and about the Cosmere in general is watching societies and worlds change change over time time. Mm -hmm. yeah if you have any thoughts about what is the best form of political leadership on Rashar, <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't really care about your thoughts about Earth, just Rashar, just Rashar or any place in the Cosmere. Let us know, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, or you can become a patron on Patreon. You don't have to do any of those things, but you can definitely leave a review, star, rating, write some things, share the podcast with yeah, someone else. just tell your friends. It helps new people find the podcast, and then they get to have conversations, and that is lovely. We don't want any Cosmere fans to be out in the cold like so many of us have been, just wishing for Cosmere friends to talk about the Cosmere with. Let's bring them all in. Hit me with a Stormlight Archive Explained Badly.
Coming from Ryan, who wrote in earlier as well, he said, Imagine Tony Stark born on a planet with giant crabs, but instead of technology, he has access to fairy magic. <laughs> I've heard a lot of uh, Marvel comparisons. Of course. Very <laughs> obviously. Popular. Yeah. yeah. We talk about Thanos a lot, and if not Marvel, then it's Game of Thrones or Harry Potter. Those are like the three go-tos. I think that I do like this because of the imagery that we see of Kaladin and like the new ability that he has to project his armor around other Super people. Cool. That was always like a Iron Man aspect because he had multiple suits and he could like yeah. send them out to protect people and whatnot. So definitely cool. Gotta love the fairy magic. Thanks so much for listening along. Brooke, can you take us away? Life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. <laughs> <laughs>